Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Birth Launch Podcast. I am particularly excited about today's episode because one of the things that I strive to do is be this hub of trusted information, no matter what you're asking for, or no matter what you are needing, you can come to the birth lounge or the tranquility by Hehe brand and be directed in some sort of evidence-based direction. Today, we're going to be talking about being a single parent by choice. And I have my friend, Julia Carroll on, who also has her own podcast, the Stork Podcast. And Julia and I have just become friends over time. And I I thought that what better resource than Julia to come on and share the ins and outs of kind of all the things that you need to know when you're considering this path. Something that I learned from Julia to really dig deep into is what is the meaning of family? We are sold this like very traditional idea. What if that doesn't happen for you? What if you choose something different? Now, how do we shift? And so today I'm really, really excited to dive into this conversation. So Julia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's amazing how much I feel we've just connected on like a soul level. And I feel so blessed to know you and to have your podcast as a resource. I wish I had it when I was delivering and giving birth, but I've been listening to a lot of episodes every time I learn something new and fabulous. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom today. So why don't you introduce yourself? Why why did you find yourself in this choice and how was that decision-making process for you? Yeah, it took a lot of time. I'll start by saying that I am now 40. I am in finance. And there were two things that were going on for me before having my family. The first was that I think I had my head down and I was working really, really hard at my career and building this job. And I didn't prioritize my social life as much as I probably could have. And that included my dating relationships. I have been in some tremendous relationships and I've been in some not so great ones. So I know that there are some people who choose the solo parent path because they just don't like dating. They feel asexual or they just haven't found their person. For me, it wasn't that. I was dating somebody in my early thirties. I thought he was going to be the one. And when we broke up, I was maybe 36 and I was just 
devastated. Like those breakups that just tear you down and have you on your knees. And it was just so broken as a human. And I'm happy to share more about that, but I couldn't function in the way that you would normally function. I was in tears. I was a wreck. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't sleeping. My anxiety levels and my cortisol levels were just like through the roof. I actually moved home with my parents for what was supposed to be a week or two and ended up being a full year, which is really highly embarrassing to admit that a guy was able to rob me of my self-worth to such a point that I had to live at home and just couldn't function really. Um, And yet at home is where I felt like I reestablished a relationship with my mom. We'd always been close friends, but we got deeper in our relationship and felt taken care of for the first time in a really long time. And I was able to do a lot of tremendous healing. And it was in the healing journey that I started to percolate on the idea that this humor around, maybe I'll just have a kid on my own started to become not like a joke and not like a plan B or like a backup option, but the true, the true option, the true path forward. It took a lot of time. It took like years of just getting more and more comfortable with the idea. And that's one of the things I'll say to those people who are considering it. We'll talk a little bit about how to think about this path if you are thinking about it. But one of them is it is not for everybody And it's not a decision many people come to immediately, but as you're exploring it, 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 it's a great option. It's a great path. I'm really pleased that I did it. And it took a lot of baby steps to get there, right? First I had to get like healthy, emotionally healthy. And then I had to start thinking about next steps. I feel like I'm going off the rails a little bit here, but in terms of the emotional healthiness component, I came to this realization that the relationships end was a good thing. Like anytime a door closes and a window opens and it's so much better than you could ever imagine. But also my devastation around the relationship really wasn't the guy. In hindsight, we probably had a terrible relationship and he did me a huge favor by ending it. But what was devastating was not that this particular relationship ended. It was that with it went my dreams of having a family because I had this pre-programmed notion. The only way to have a family was you find your person, you have to do it within a time frame that matches your fertility window. You get married, you have kids. And when he ended the relationship, I felt like, oh my God, now I don't get to have a family. And that was the work that I had to do. That was the trauma that I faced was this sense of loss not about him, but about this family that I thought I would never, ever, ever get to have. And that was the healing journey I had to rectify. Does that make sense? Totally. You've hit on a huge pain point of mine. I mean, I do not keep it a secret that I'm in a nine-year relationship and we're still not engaged. And these thoughts have crossed my mind too. They obviously, the older I get, the more they pop up. And I think a lot of us who have focus on our career and whether we're in a healthy relationship or not, if we don't have the picture perfect or like what we've always been sold is like, this is how you do things. We're all kind of reconciling with that. You know, even if it is having children unmarried, maybe you're in a committed 14 year relationship. You have three children together and people still cannot get over the fact you guys aren't quote unquote, married. Come on guys, give it a rest. We're a family. And I think a lot of us are reconciling with that. 
Yeah, that is exactly it. You totally hit the nail on the head. And my biggest recommendation to people whenever they're listening to my podcast or they want resources to think about how to build a family, whether it's solo parenting or choosing not to have kids, by the way, or any number of things, the first thing you have to do is get real and spend time in your own truth and figure out who am I, what are my values and what is most important to me. The second thing you have to do is start to pay attention to the messages and the pre-programming we've received. It's totally acceptable to say, I've received messaging that family is important and the only way to have family is in a committed marriage. That's an acceptable thing to choose, right? But it's important to choose it because you can acknowledge this is the message I received and it's a message I agree with. And in my case, I was able to identify this is a message I've received, and it's not a message that resonates for me. What resonates for me is being an awesome mom and having love of of this munchkin that's filling my heart in new ways. Other people in my life, somebody very, very dear to me, is deciding not to have kids. And for her, the programming is, yeah, I know that I'm told that my self-worth is tied up to children. It's tied into whether or not I create a family and pass on a legacy and share my future with munchkins. And yet I can choose to reject that. Here's another example. And I'm old enough and I live in Massachusetts, but when I was in college, they legalized gay marriage in Massachusetts and Cambridge was the first place to do it. And I remember witnessing the first day that gay marriage was legal in Cambridge and right at the Cambridge, I think it's city hall or pardon me if I'm forgetting the name of the building, there were mass marriage ceremonies. So I remember being in Cambridge and watching these mass marriage ceremonies and going, oh my God, this is miraculous. I have since interviewed people who are identify as gay or lesbian. And they say before that decision, I didn't think family was available to me. I didn't think I got to have that. And then when gay marriage was legalized, I realized I could now have a family. Now, Mm It's still tied into this pre-programming around marriage is what allows for family. And you can choose to accept that or not, but it's these many ways in which we receive messages about what is an acceptable family, how to have a family, what is an acceptable life to live. We get to individually identify what we're hearing, identify where it comes from and say, I choose to accept or reject that. In my case, I chose to reject that marriage was important first and foremost and exclusively. And I chose to accept that children were important. Other people may choose a different paradigm. So I think that's a really important thing you just hit on. You know what I didn't know was the scrutiny and judgment that women who choose not to have children face. Men never face that. And I never even thought any different. I just thought, okay, you're not having kids. Who cares? Like if that's your choice. Okay. Makes sense to me. I mean, if you don't want kids, I'll have them. They're a huge responsibility. That just logically makes sense. I did not know until I got into the birth world that people who choose not to, women who choose not to have children are like, ridiculed and you're right their self-worth people think they are less than or something's wrong with them it doesn't matter what the circumstances are even if they've chosen this intentionally even if they're thousand percent happy even if they're the best aunt to a million children still making a big difference in so many lives not the right choice society will tell you that was the wrong choice oh what what about this one well you're gonna regret it you're gonna be lonely 
Yeah. It's infantilizing, right? Because we're telling people that a decision that they've made based on their intuition, their self-knowledge, their values, and what they want for their lives is not the right choice and that they're going to regret it. When else would you say that to somebody? I'm never going to go to you. He, he, I don't believe in your career choices. You're going to regret those. That would be incredibly professionally insulting, right? We typically are like, that's toxic. We call them out and say, that's not helpful. Don't say that to me. Right. And oftentimes you're wrong. So yeah, that one's really interesting. Themes that come up in my podcast, which is all about the many ways to build family and celebrating all the different paths to family building, including solo parenting, including choosing not to have kids, including doing it in a traditional way or having kids before you have the ring on your finger or gay marriage, gay adoption, fostering, you name it, egg donor, sperm donor, embryo donor, surrogacy, any way possible, all all of the things. There are some themes. One is that we all feel a sense of shame and loneliness, whatever's happening in our lives, right? I have not interviewed a single guest who hasn't at some point said, you know, my path has been a little different. I'm quietly struggling with infertility and I feel this deep shame around that, or I feel so isolated. And I was reflecting, actually, I mentioned before we started recording that I gave a presentation this week And prior to the presentation, there was a cocktail hour and everyone at the cocktail hour was asking me, do you have kids? And I have to tell you for years of my life from childbearing age until I had my munchkin, that conversation, that question tore me apart. It just, it hurts your heart so badly Mm -hmm. when it's something you want and it's not something you have, whether it's because you're missing a fertility component. Maybe there's something about the fertility journey that's just not succeeding yet for you, or maybe it's because you don't have a partner or for whatever reason, I just like, couldn't be in rooms like that. Or, or I would put that clown face on and just smile and make a joke and be like, no, no, whatever. But in my heart, every time somebody asked that question, it broke. And so we have to get rid of the shame and the stigma around all these different paths to family not being acceptable. And we have to take away the isolation we all feel, the isolation that you feel in a fertility journey, the isolation you feel when you're a solo parent, the isolation you feel if you choose not to have kids, or you're deeply in love with somebody and you don't have that rock on your hand that indicates that he loves you enough right? To the world, right? You may know that he loves you enough, but the world is looking for the rock as proof positive that this is a serious relationship. I mean, all of those things, we need to just let go of these messages that certain things are valued and certain things are not valued. And it's not easy, right? I don't suggest that you go live at your parents' house for a year, you emerge, everyone becomes a single mom, and we've like collectively destroyed the white picket fence ideal. That's not it. I'm saying that we should each identify what our messages are and what is right for us. And one of the ways to do that is trade-offs. So when I was looking at my trade-offs, I like to think in extremes. And so I would think about like on the far end, if I found the person that lit my heart on fire and that person said, I don't believe in having kids. I never want to have kids no kids for you. How would that make me feel? Or if I met that person and I was too old to have kids, it just wasn't going to happen for me. How would that feel? And the alternative side is if I choose to have a baby and the partnership thing never happens, I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, which was better for me, which is worse. This is just, it's so true. I mean, my heart just goes out to so many people, but also it hits pain points of mine. I'll tell you this. 
I was flipping through a wedding magazine the other day because my cousin's getting married and she's like my favorite person in the whole world. And I had a moment where I looked at the beautiful dress and I thought, I'm never going to get to have that. It's possible I get married, you know, in my forties or fifties, it's possible. And it's also possible that if I do get married, it'll be like a court somewhere or backyard or whatever, but it's highly unlikely that I'm going to do the big gown. I don't regret my decisions for a second. I knew that was a trade-off I was making when I chose to have my son. There is a complication in my dating life, which I will share with the audience, but I knew, I knew that was what I was giving up. And I still look at that white fluffy dress and there's a part of me that goes, oh man, I wish I got to have that. And there's a part of me that looks at the ring and it's like, that's a symbol that somebody has chosen you and they've chosen you for the rest of their life and that you're important and valued and valuable. And like my heart breaks that that's not a path I've chosen. Yeah. So I don't want to make light of these trade-offs. It is never that, oh, you just make a decision. It's easy. It is not easy. I had to give up the dress. I have to give up the ring. I may have to choose to be unhappy and lonely in some areas of my life for some period of time or forever in order to have this thing that I really want. And that was a trade-off I was willing to make. I can absolutely easily see making the other decision, choosing love, choosing a partner. It's like, there's so much unfairness. There's so much unfairness. Unless you're kind of unfair. It is unfair. It's unfair that I want to say that I usually am like, you know what? Things balance out. Life is balanced. I actually do believe that like, you know, if you put out good, you get good. Things are balanced. I promise. There is like a component that's so fucking unfair. It's so unfair. And it's not like it's yes, balanced, but it's not balanced in all areas. Mm -hmm. So you might, you might be thriving in one area. You might have tremendous luck and prosperity in one area of your life and you don't have it in the other area, but there are certain things that this stuff, this family building stuff is so profoundly unfair. Some people accidentally get knocked up on their first try. And some people try for eight years and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars that insurance doesn't cover. They take out debt. They go bankrupt in order to do this. Some of us find our person freshman year of college, you know, a friend of mine, has this amazing story of meeting her husband on Halloween, freshman year of college. And she was dressed as a chicken and he was dressed as something equal, like a robot. They had that like meet cute. Some of us don't ever get that meet cute. We never get that moment or you meet the love of your life and they don't want the same things as you. Like it, it is so profoundly unfair or some people that I've interviewed have everything and then they get cancer and that robs them of their fertility. It's not fair. And it just sucks. And when you're looking at what we're told we should have and the unfairness that most of us face, those two things are in conflict and it hurts. It really hurts. It does. There's so many layers too for me being from down South and just like all of that to unravel too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was always the one. I mean, I still am personality wise and literally the only one that doesn't have children. I was always like the mom of the group and people were like, oh my God, you're going to be the first to get married. You're going to have a million kids. And now I'm the one not having those things. So. And it hurts, right? It does. Yeah. But then I do think about like, I do think about like how that is all constructed too. 
It hurts, but because of why? Because that was the expectation set by who, though? Set by, like, actually who? The Southern culture? Okay, but who wrote that? If if nobody can give me a name, then, like, who am I answering to kind of thing? Yeah. You know? I do know. And I think you can't write it all off as pre-programming and culture because there are things that we deeply want independent of programming and culture. Mm-hmm. I think we are, humans are programmed to want love to want human connection, to want to be in relationship with lovely people. And so I think we're pre-programmed to want the white dress and the big fancy wedding and the beautiful sparkly ring that blinds you as you're driving down the highway. Who doesn't want that? But you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't say the programming sucks and therefore I don't want a partner. It's the programming sucks and I want love, but the love that I want doesn't have to look the way your love does. Yeah, I think that is, I would say that's where me and the friends that I do have that aren't married and or have kids and or even in a relationship in their 30s are right now. Yeah, Like we do want that love and it's not something that we're willing to compromise on. And also like children aren't something that we're willing to compromise on. So how do we mesh those two and also reconcile with the fact that it doesn't have to look like the little white picket fence with a mom and a dad and two kids and a dog, right? Look like anything that we want it to look like. So I'll tell you about my relationship because on the surface and on the inside too, it looks a mess. And that is just before going through my fertility journey, I met somebody and I had to think about like, do I want to pause on all this and risk not having kids because I missed a window or do I want to charge ahead and risk the relationship? Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of conversations with him. He has two kids, is divorced. He at the time was feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment around being divorced. I mean, talk about that sense of isolation, the sense of failure that he was feeling. And I'm speaking for him and I very rarely talk about him outside of my close group of friends, because it's just not fair to bring somebody else's feelings in. And, but in this case I will. So he wasn't ready to have kids and I don't think he ever wants more kids. It's just not something he's into, but he was open to exploring the relationship simultaneous to my doing the fertility journey. And so that's what we've done. It has taken, having a baby has taken its toll on the relationship. He lives in another state. We don't see each other very much in the pandemic. I think there was like a 10 month period where we didn't see each other. So, you know, it's, it's not like I'm solo parenting in that it's my biology, not his biology, but he's a true parenting partner. I'm solo parenting. And then like, I have phone calls with a lovely human a lot of the time, but that doesn't look like the white picket fence. You know, and if the relationship ends because of having a baby, he's going to hate to hear this, but like worth it. Totally worth it. But I used to I'll tell you, I was so jealous of my friends who were divorced. <laughs> this is so silly, but I was so jealous because I was like, if I had just gotten divorced and had kids, at least I'd have the kids. You know, yeah, the emotional stuff sucks and the unwinding your finances and the legal stuff sucks, but at least I'd have the kids. And what my divorce friends say is you don't understand how horrible this is. And Mm -hmm. you really, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but I had to go through the heartbreak and not get the kids or at the time, not have the kids. So 
I was desperate. I was like, I wish if only I had been divorced or if only I had been in a bar and accidentally gotten knocked up or any number of things. I was just praying for some extreme circumstance that would lead me to kids. And so I just had to create my own extreme circumstance, but I don't know, back to dating and stuff. It's hard. It is hard. Okay. So talk us through those decisions. What kind of decisions are you making? Sure. So like brass tacks, tactical stuff. The first thing I did was I froze my eggs and I was lucky that I had some disposable cash at the time in order to invest in that. Not everyone can do that. More and more employers are helping with that. And some fertility places have financing options, meaning you pay every month like you would a car. But it's a huge investment and it's a very risky investment because freezing your eggs does not guarantee a baby. It just gives you more likelihood of having a baby. And so the first thing I did was freeze my eggs. And again, it was, this is a plan B. I won't need to use those, but, and the way I thought about it too was, isn't this a lovely gift I'm giving a future partner? Because if we meet later in life, then we can use my earlier eggs and my partner gets to have kids too. Whereas if I didn't do this, my partner might never get to have kids if we're too old. So I thought about it as a gift to myself and to my partner. And I have a great episode on egg freezing and I, there's a lot of wonderful resources out there. The second thing is I spent a lot of time getting clear on my values, what I wanted for my family life. And that's cheap. It's hours and hours of reading articles, surfing the web, journaling like crazy, talking to friends and family. The next thing I did is I talked, I literally picked up the phone and called everyone. Anyone that I knew was like, you're a single mom. Tell me about being a single mom. You're, you've adopted kids. Tell me about adopting kids. You're dating a man who has kids and they're thinking about blending a family. What's that like? And that's actually the genesis of the podcast, because I think it's important to hear these stories. And the more you hear the stories, the more you say, oh, I see the decision they made, but that decision's not right for me. Or, oh, I can resonate with that decision. That one could be right for me. And you get to, it's like house shopping. You get to try on different lives with every story you hear. And that's one of the ways that you get to explore what I want and don't want, or even know what's possible. So if you're looking for that, there's a lot of great podcasts, mine included, Storked. And there's some great news articles and stuff like that, but just also polling your friends. That's cheap. That's free. And when I was ready, I the first thing I did was I went to a fertility clinic and I got my levels tested to make sure that I could have babies. Um, and then I chose a sperm donor. And that's a whole big, we could talk about that if you want. I also joined a Facebook group called Single Moms by Choice, and they had one local to my area and one global. And I was a little bit of a voyeur because people ask questions like, what does this mean in my fertility journey? Or what's it like to have two kids? Or what's it like to have twins? Or, you know, do you ever regret it? Or how did you choose your sperm donor? And I just read everything, compulsively read everything. It was like an education in solo parenting. So I think that was it. It was, it was data collection. It was getting comfortable with myself and then understanding what my medical options were available to me. And with each step plan, I always say plan B just started to feel like plan A and not in a begrudging way, not like, oh, I guess I have to do this on my own now. When I have people who call me and say, I'm thinking about being a single parent and they say, I guess I have to, I'm at a certain age. That's always an alarm bell. I will never tell somebody not to do it, but it's a, it's an alarm bell that you should pay attention to yourself. If you feel crappy about it, it's not the right decision. In my case, it started to feel really exciting. It started to feel like those moments when you walk in somewhere, you're like, ah, this is home. 
felt like the, like, this is a good choice. I feel joy when I think about it. Yeah, And that's when I knew. That is, yeah, it's amazing to kind of see where your first three action steps are and the commitment in, in kind of all of those. Yeah. And I'll say I offer myself as a resource. I don't have a lot of time on my hands, but when I do, people call me all the time and ask about sperm donors or they ask about, you know, whatever it is they're going through. And it's a great joy to pass that on because so many people did that for me. So feel free to reach out. Yeah. And they can follow you on Instagram and social Mm -hmm. media too. How, how did you choose your sperm donor? How was that process? What should people know about that? Yeah, that, that is like hours of conversation, but I'll distill it into this. There are two paths forward with choosing a sperm donor. First is a known donor. That is somebody that you are familiar with. And the second is using a cryobank. I used California cryobank. If you use a known donor, there's a lot of benefit to that. The first is that you know the human, you know the qualities they have, you know their medical history. If there's ever a crisis and your kid is having a medical crisis, you can call them and ask, did you ever have anything that looked like this? Do you have this allergy or do you have this predisposition or has a parent ever had this? And that seems so far away when you haven't yet even had kids yet, but it's one of the most important things is to know a kid's medical history in case of emergency. However, there are some legal complications. And one of the things I learned is in Massachusetts, there isn't enough legal precedence about single parents using a known sperm donor. So if I were married and I used a sperm donor, that person would sign away their rights to fatherhood and that would be enough. But there wasn't certainty on the legal front that somebody couldn't then say, oh no, it's my paternity. I want to be able to raise this child. And then you get into a custody battle. So that was scary. It's different state by state. You're going to want to look at your, your laws. When using a sperm bank, it is the weirdest thing you've ever seen. It is literally online shopping. You go into a database, you plug in the things you want. You can look at height, hair color, eye color, skin color, ethnicity, religious, you can, then you evaluate for genetic predispositions. Is there any alcoholism in their family? Is there any heart disease? Is there any breast cancer or lung cancer, anything? Then they give you, you can hear their voice. You can see their baby pictures. You can see notes that the sperm bank gives you about them. So there's a million different ways. I like to say that there are as many ways to choose a sperm donor as there are to choose a partner or a career, or like you could pull thousands of people and each one would have a different way of doing it. I've had people do it based on looks. I want that person to look like my partner or to look like my family or to look like they belong to me. I've had the people do it based on blood type. If there's a crisis, their blood type needs to match my blood type. I screened for certain measures of intelligence that are like that are probably not even measures of intelligence. I just had to narrow by something, you know, I was like, okay, that's like, I wanted somebody in a hard sciences. I wanted somebody with an engineering degree because I, I don't know. I just feel like that was important to me. And then I screened for kindness, which is not something you can quantify. So I just sort of read everything and just said, to seem like a kind person. And then I screened for like nice big smile. So those are things I looked at. I, was thinking, and I had seen somebody had done this before that you'd have like a big party and everyone helps you do it. And that didn't feel good. I didn't want everyone in my life knowing my business. So I picked my five closest friends 
And I gave them my top 10. I said, look at these and tell me if I'm missing anything. Like, I don't want to know what you're seeing, but, and a couple of friends would say, okay, I think you're missing that this person seems a little narcissistic or that this person's genetic history may not actually be as safe as you think. And so that's how I chose. So that's a lot of information. The other thing to pay attention to is anonymous donor versus not anonymous donor as much as possible. Highly encouraged, not anonymous. I did anonymous didn't really think it was going to be a big deal. And now I've come to learn from interviews with a lot of donor conceived people, just how important it is to get in touch with your one half of your biology, one half of your identity, if you're able to. And so I've robbed my kid of that access by accidentally choosing somebody who does not want to be found. That's a lot. I've given you maybe a little too much there. No, I think that's something that nobody would consider. I mean, I certainly didn't think about that, right? And it makes sense that you wouldn't have thought about it either until now you've learned something different. It's a little surprising to me that someone through the process didn't say that to you, didn't say, think about the implications of this choice versus this choice. Was that ever part of this journey? There are people who can advise you. You can call the sperm bank and they can give you some thoughts about various implications. And there are coaches. You can find a fertility coach who will walk you through it. It's hard to know what's, it's all important and you have to force rank what is important to you. So the, some of the things that I thought were not as important, I'm learning now because I'm listening to people who are 30 or 40 years old and they are donor conceived that I didn't, it wasn't handed to me on a silver platter partly because the industry is just not constructed that way. There's some very wonderful things about this industry that allow us to have the families we want. And there's some very complicated things. Mm. And so almost like a journalist, it wasn't until I got into the underbelly of what was really happening and had a lot of conversations. And I have to admit, I'm still learning. I don't want to present myself as an expert, but I think the podcast has given me access to people who wouldn't normally just give you information. So I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life exploring this topic because it's so relevant to my son. And I'm trying to share it in the podcast as much as is possible. I try to share all of the topics as much as is possible. It's kind of like when you go get pregnant, nobody tells you how many people have miscarriages and it'll tell you how frequent that is. And they don't tell you how devastating it is. Sometimes we like to be like, oh yeah, miscarriage, whatever, just move on, keep trying. But it's a major loss and it's a huge thing to grieve. And we don't talk about that when people start to get pregnant. It's a great parallel to some of the things about donor conception and solo parenting that you just don't think about, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of things that people don't think about, but are coming more common because of our lifestyles and because the way of the world right now. And I have a friend who thought that they were going to have kids. They actually started to be on their conception journey. And then they decided like, we're really just not sure if this is right for us, the more that we get into it. And a lot of it has to do with kind of what's going on in the world right now. So yeah, I think there's a billion ways that families can become a family. And this idea that it has to be this traditional mom, dad, two kids and a dog in a white picket fence house is going to slowly start to be rebuilt. It's going to be remodeled or Let's celebrate that and the family that doesn't look like, can we hold both and as beautiful? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, you guys, this episode is got to wrap up, but come back <laughs> next week, we're going to actually dive into Julia's birth story and how that was during she didn't have the traditional, you know, husband wife duo that so many, I think, childbirth education and movies and songs and all the things that were sold portray. But what about the families that don't look like that? So thank you, Julia, for sharing all of your wisdom today. We'll link all of the verses that she shared today in the show notes for you guys. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Yeah, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.